The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about what really matters in life. And when you realize what really matters in life, then you don't want to spend a lot of time in conflict And we have this wonderful book here by Dr. Karen M. Wyatt, M.D. And I have it right in front of me, and it's really a wonderful book. It's called What Really Matters, Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. And uh, you and I both know that we have been through death and dying with family members, and we've been through hospice, and we know what this is like. And it's just such a enlightening, inspiring book. In fact, it's this in the back here of the book, it says um, a timely and important book that will help you live with greater joy by and, uh, William Gladstone, author of 12 and the Motorcycle Gang wrote that. And here's another one by Larry Dossi, MD, who has written many books, another MD. And his is a, he's the author of Healing Words and the Power of Premonitions. And he says, Dr. Wyatt addresses a longstanding taboo in our youth-obsessed, feel-good society, death and the process of dying. Since everyone dies, the statistics are really quite compelling. We ought to pay attention to death's significance and meaning in the advance. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Great lady. Uh, she's a family physician who has spent 20, her 25-year medical career working with patients in challenging settings such as hospices, nursing homes, and indigent clinics. She has founded a free medical clinic and a homeless shelter, uh, accompanied three medical mission trips uh, in teams to Honduras, and she led a nonprofit clinic for the uninsured in its growth from a four-hour-per-week all-volunteer operation to a full-time, full-service medical center. And she has um, also wrote a chapter for the book Consciousness and Healing, Integral Approaches to Mind-Body Medicine, edited by Marilyn Schlitz and Tina Amaruk. And she's um, been really inspired by her hospice patients. And so let's talk a little bit more about this. And uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And let's talk about what you've learned uh, not only from your patients, but from writing this book. So thank you so much for joining us, Karen. Thank you, Mari. I really appreciate being invited to be on the show. So 
tell us about what inspired you to write this book, What Really Matters. Well, I was working as a hospice physician and found that I was learning so much from the patients I was working with just by just by being present with them and accompanying them in the last days of their lives and hearing their stories and hearing them tell me what issues they were dealing with and what what things seemed important to them about life. And one patient actually said to me, you know, I've only just now figured out what really matters in life, and I only have a few weeks left to live. And he said, I wish that I could tell other people what I know. I wish there was some way I could, I could share this with them. And it suddenly occurred to me, none of these patients would be able to tell anyone else what they had learned, but I could. And that, at that moment, it's when I knew I need to record these stories and I need to write down the lessons that I'm learning from the patients and create a book someday in order to be a voice for them to share what they wished they could have told people. Exactly. Now, you know, they always say no one ever laid down on their deathbed and said that they wished that they spent more time at the office. <laughs> you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you hear that kind of stuff yourself? Oh, Yes. Yes, all the time. In fact, um, the man who said that, that he had only just learned what really matters, what he had learned was the importance of love, which he had largely lived without much of his life. And he had been focused on his career, on acquiring lots and lots of material possessions and wealth, and he had abandoned his close personal relationships with his wife and son and had just in order to in order to pursue what he saw as success in life and um here on his deathbed he was regretting all of it and saying the only thing that really makes a difference is love and i let i abandoned it and let go of it and i would give anything to have it now mm. it, yeah it's so sad for people to see that and it is inspiring for those of us who still have some time on this planet, and we none of us ever know how much time we have left. Exactly. Exactly. That's the message that really um, hit home to me. I saw patients of all ages who were dying, and it made me recognize, you know, I have no idea. I have no idea when my time will come, and I need to be prepared and ready for it at any time. You know, um, in some in other societies, like in Spain, they really deal with death head on. You know, I was a student. You know, before I became a lawyer, I you know had a, a, a master's, and one of my, my uh, minor was Spanish, so I'd have to read a lot of Spanish novels. And the Spaniards are really kind of preoccupied with death. They've got that whole thing with the bullfight, facing death head on, and. A lot yeah. of the writings are about death and what it means. In our society, we don't do that, you know? And so no. how have you been able to actually overcome our society's reluctance to even talk about death and dying? Because we really do. I mean, I face it head on. I, I've been with my mother through hospice. I went through a death and dying with my sister when it, you know, she went through a very, very uh, long dying death just actually from a spider bite and um that caused septicemia and so it was a you know she had been healthy one day and then the next day she's not but um it took you know we were trying to keep her alive for a long time and so you know we went through this long process 
of the the dying and what it meant. So, you know, I've learned to face it head on. So how have you been able to overcome that when people don't want to talk about that kind of stuff in our society? Well, I first, I actually first tried to write this book and publish it about 12 years ago and found um, no one interested whatsoever. I did a few, I was invited to a few conferences where I spoke about death and dying and no one came. The room was virtually empty for my talks and I couldn't find an agent or publisher, publisher interested in the book at all 12 years ago and they all told me no one wants to hear about this. But, um, I got inspired to try again in the last couple of years and found much more openness to the subject. I think things are beginning to change a little bit in our society, but um, the most success I've had has been with the format I used in the book of telling actual stories of patients. That seems to put people at ease, and the stories are something everyone can relate to. And as soon as people hear the story about about a patient in their last days of life, they suddenly start to recall their own um, own stories from their own lives, and uh, soon everyone has something they would like to share and talk about. So I found that that telling stories is one of the best ways of getting other people to open up and be willing to look at it. Yeah, I know. I remember when my ex-spouse was in medical school, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had come um, to speak at the University of Virginia, and it was weird because her husband had just died recently before that. And so she was writing about death and dying at the time, um, but not in this way, like you writing it. But you must have, you know, studied some of her, some of her stuff too as well. Yes, definitely. Back when I was... Uh, in in medical school, and then when I was in hospice, I read a lot of her writing also. And it, that was one of the things 12 years ago when I tried to find a publisher, a publisher wrote to me and said, we don't really need any more books on death and dying because we already have Elizabeth <laughs> Kubler-Ross. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I remember about uh, 10, 15 years ago reading um, books by Dr. Raymond Moody, uh, yeah. you know, life after life and more on life after life. His books were fascinating. Another MD talking, you know, kind of inspiring you about dealing with death and, 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 you know, the, the, the many lifetimes. And then I took a class with, um, Dr. Brian Weiss, who you may know as well, who yeah. is another MD who talks about, you know, does past life regression and a psychiatrist and board certified in, neurology and psychiatry. So a lot of, you know, the doctors and like you had Dr. Dr. Um, oh, you had Dr. Loss, uh, Dossi, and we've got a lot more physicians who are much more holistic lately, you know, yeah. and Deepak Chopra, another MD. So we've got a whole slew of enlightened, as I think they're enlightened physicians that maybe that's helping to change the culture about this. Do you think that's possible? I think so, and I think it gradually is beginning to change, and as um, our baby boom generation now is aging and facing facing our parents dying, we're facing our own aging and changes in life and illnesses and um, losing some of our friends and other family members, it's really bringing the issue right to the, to the forefront here for everyone to look at. Right. You know... Um... I think, you know, the name of our show is Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. And 
I know that conflict comes up when people are dying and maybe they're old conflicts that they haven't forgiven or new conflicts about people already vultures about who's going to get what money or, you know, the conflicts that do arise all around death and dying. And did you find this, what kind of role did conflict play in the families that you work with in, in hospice? Can you tell us any stories without names? <laughs> uh, yes. In in fact, it it was a huge issue. And I would say our staff ended up spending quite a bit of time um, helping families with their conflicts because we found that it was it was really difficult for the patient to have a peaceful death if there was ongoing ongoing conflict or bad feelings going on in their immediate families. So we spent a lot of our time counseling with family members and trying to help them um, figure out a way to heal these conflicts that sometimes had been there for years and years. And in one family, we were caring for um, the elderly mother who was our patient, but she had three children, two daughters and a son, and the two daughters had not spoken to their brother for over 20 years, and they, Mm -hmm. in fact, none of them had even seen him for 20 years, and um, they just assumed that that he would not show up and not be part of this whole process of their mother dying, but the mother desperately wanted her children to reconcile and come together, and she confided that into our hospice staff when we were talking to her, how important it was for her. And um, we were able to convince the sisters eventually to let the brother come to see the mother, even though they they left the house, they wouldn't be present while he was there. But... um, a, a really interesting thing happened when he when he was visiting her. She she told him she was disappointed because she had been in the middle of making a hooked rug for her great granddaughter. She'd made one of these rugs for every grandchild and great grandchild that had the the baby's name and date of birth on it. She'd been in the middle of making one for her most recent great grandchild, but was too ill to finish it, and she was very disappointed about that, that she would die and not be able to leave this one last um, handmade rug for her great-great-granddaughter. Well, it turns out um, the son, unbeknownst to his sisters, actually took that hooked rug with him and finished it himself, having never done anything like that before, not being in the the least Mm. (laughs) a crafty person. But he figured out how to do it, and he finished making that rug for their mother. So um, a few days later, he came back again um, for a visit with a shopping bag with something inside it. And the sisters that day decided they were going to stay because they were curious about what he was bringing (laughs) to their mother. So they stayed and watched from outside the room, and he pulled out that rug and showed it to his mother. And the sisters were absolutely overcome. They couldn't believe it, what, what a loving gesture that was on his part. And... Instantly, it's it's as if 20 years of unhappiness and anger and hostility was wiped out by that one simple act on his part of finishing that rug. The sisters just burst into tears and started crying and forgave him, and they all hugged each other. And it was such a beautiful story to see our patient was able to die with her issues resolved. The, the rug was finished, and her children finally came together again and were there for her. And it was, it was a wonderful story. And, and seeing that happen inspired us. This 
we really can help people. People really can resolve these conflicts, even though they have such a short time to do it. They really can do it if if they're motivated to at the end of life. So it inspired us even more to get in there and talk to talk to families and tell them you you have to work on these conflicts. Now what I would like to do is encourage people don't allow conflicts like this to to fester over years and years of life. Work solve them right away when they come up and don't allow it. Don't allow this to even be there so you don't have to spend all this time at the the last moments of life trying to fix it. Right, and all that pain and all that joy that you could have had during all that that time that you wasted the energy of the pain of the anger and the conflict. Oh, yes, exactly. That's why I think the work that you do sounds so valuable in helping people understand how to heal the conflicts because... There's always a way to heal it, always. Yes. <laughs> it just takes time to find it. Yes. We're speaking right now with Dr. Karen M. Wyatt. She's a medical doctor, and she wrote this wonderful book called What Really Matters, Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. One of the things that I loved about hospice, my mom was in hospice. She had a stroke, and, you know, we tried to keep her alive. She you know, had, uh, she had been on dialysis and you know, the whole story that I don't have to go into, but, but, um, we finally, I finally gave up basically and said, okay, we're going to do hospice, which a lot of people fight that they're not ready to let go. And, um, I found the hospice people were so wonderful. It was such a, an inspiring experience you know, as opposed to like when my dad died, suddenly you don't experience that. I, I must tell you how much I honor people who do hospice. It is a process that was beautiful for me. Even though it was sad to lose my mom, I I have fond feelings of that process of going through hospice and and seeing how death and dying is part of life. Like, you know, just like when you have a baby and you, you buy the book, the first 12 months of life and you say, Oh wow, this is happening. Yeah. Now the baby's smiling at six weeks. Oh wow. The baby, you know, turned over, you know what I mean? And then they were able to tell me, this is the process that you will see in the dying process and what signs to look for and how to know and to, to be part of that. And that to me was, very reassuring to know that there is this process that this is part of the life and death cycle of life. I mean that that just was amazing to me. Yes, it's a it's something that I think everyone needs to know. That's that's one um, one bit of information I want to share with everyone is that it is a natural process that our bodies go through to to actually die at the end of life and it's it's it is a beautiful thing when you see it unfold and see how it takes place yeah yeah what about um i know you talked a little bit about forgiveness and i want to kind of go back to that issue about conflicts and what you learned about conflicts because there are you know when people realize they don't have much time left it's just like if you would if i say to my clients if you knew that today was your last day on earth would you want to be spending it in this kind of angry situation or, or what would you want to do? And I think people don't realize that 
they have choices about whether they want to engage in conflict. And it seems to me like forgiveness would be a huge issue um, in hospice. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, I would say that um, forgiveness was probably the most common issue that I saw that I saw patients working on. Uh, virtually every single patient had someone that they needed to forgive or be forgiven by, and um, all of them had to had to kind of come to terms with what had happened in the past and how they had neglected to to resolve old issues. And what what came through to me from all of that is, as you mentioned before, how much energy people have wasted and tied up throughout their lives in negative relationships and holding on to negative feelings toward other people that really could have been resolved a long time ago and then freed up that energy for them to use in some other way in their lives for for other things, for a more positive purpose, instead of holding on to grudges and hostility from something that happened a long time ago in the past. So um, forgiveness, I would say, was the most profound lesson I learned also that changed my life because I had to really look at myself and look at things that I had been holding on to for a long time. And I still look at it every single day, every day almost. I kind of go through and review like, okay, is there anything I'm holding on to that I that I need to work on letting go of right now, That something that disappointed me or, or happened, that I need to get through it and get over this now and, and let go of that. So that that lesson definitely made the biggest impact on me and changed my life the most. You know, I I keep thinking as I get older and thinking about my loved ones who've passed on and and I'm thinking of this saying that I heard that was a Buddha saying that all suffering comes from not accepting what is. And mm. um and that I remind myself all the time when something happens that I don't like. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I have a little, a little guy on my shoulder that says, "All suffering comes from not accepting what is," <laughs> you know, and just kind of saying, "It is what it is," and letting go because then you, you, if you don't do that, you are just keeping yourself from the joy that you can have. You know, you can't do anything about the past except to maybe look at it in the present and say, "I'm willing to let this go." I'm willing to let this go. When, when, when you know, when you see this this process of dying, um, you, like you said, the, the name of the book is so perfect. Is what really matters, you know? So yes, uh, you know, I wondered how do you, in that you deal with death and dying every day, how is it that you are able to deal with that yourself? Well, um, it's definitely a process because um, during in working with hospice, as you can imagine, the, the hospice staff becomes close with many of the patients. You get so intimately involved in their living and their dying process and going through it with them that you do feel the loss of every patient that dies. And for me, it's been very important to have my own kind of daily practice and routine that I use to kind of keep myself together, which includes some exercise, and I do yoga, and I um, keep a journal, so I write in a journal every day and kind of explore 
what's going on in my head <laughs> a little bit every day, and I um, I meditate. Though I guess I think of it as meditation <laughs> instead of just meditation. I love it's it. Or <laughs> like a, it's more like a, it's meditating and praying at the same time because I I work on sending just sending out lots of loving energy and compassion toward people that I've encountered during the day, and that really helps me. Um, a lot to stay on an even keel and kind of keep my emotions in a healthy place. And the other thing that we um, have done in hospice as a staff is once or twice a year have our own memorial service that lets us have a place where we can just say goodbye and grieve for for all the patients that we've lost together. Mm, Yeah, that kind of ritual is, is beautiful. Yeah. What, you know, and this book is just so beautiful, and I love all the quotes that you have. What three things would you like people to to really get as a lesson from, from what you learned? And what would you like them to pay attention to in their lives? Well, we already talked about um, forgiveness. I think that that comes number one as I think the thing that could make the biggest difference in people's lives if they could learn to practice forgiveness on an ongoing basis as as they go along in life and keep their energy out of the past. Mm -hmm. Stop sending all this energy back into old past history and past wounds. And the second thing has to do with not sending too much energy into the future (laughs) and um, (laughs) the idea of letting go of, of so much worry and anxiety about what's going to happen in the future. So that, and just keeping the energy in the present moment. And um, that's another, that was another profound lesson for me, was seeing how much these patients at the end of their lives cherished every single moment. Mm. Every single little thing that happened was so precious for them because it was possibly the very last time that they would ever experience it. And um, that made such an impact on me, and I realized how much of my time I wasted every day either wishing things were different, (laughs) wishing I were somewhere else, wishing I were doing something else, wishing something would change. And it suddenly made me wake up and think, no, this is what I have right now. Just as you were saying, this is what is. This (laughs) is it. I have to enjoy this right now. Um, This is what I have. And if if I fail to do that, I'm kind of refusing to live the life that's been given to me. And wishing that I could create something else. And that's so foolish. Yeah. And one last question. We don't have a lot of time for it, but for those of us who, who have, you know, experienced the death uh, of a, of a loved one and who are struggling with that grief, um, what suggestions do you have for them? Well, one thing that I, that I would counsel everyone is to make sure you allow some time every day to go within yourself, within, to look at the pain and the fear or, or whatever your loss you're carrying inside. Because I think during times of grief and illness or, or times of crisis, people find ways of becoming very, very busy and busying themselves with external activities and are a little bit afraid to, to go inside and face the pain that they're carrying inside. But it's so important so important to be able to sit with it and look at it and allow yourself to be in pain, but also allow the pain to change you and give up the idea that you're ever going to go back and be the same as things were before. Allow the fact that 
things are different now and everything has changed and my loss and pain are changing me and it's okay to let that happen. And when we are in that kind of pain of loss, it breaks our heart open. But when it breaks our, our heart open, it allows the love to flow in. Yes, absolutely. And so that's a way that we can end this. You are just so wonderful. Dr. Karen Wyatt, MD. What Really Matters? Seven Lessons for Living from the Stories of the Dying. Thank you so much, Karen. It was such a wonderful interview, and we just wish you the best, and please let us know about the next book that comes out. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you so much, and thank you for the work that you do. Okay, well, we got to work together to have people enjoy their lives so that they don't have yeah. to wait to the last minute, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, we will talk to you again soon, Karen. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, Mari. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com and write us emails about what's important to you in your life about releasing and letting go of conflict. Thank you. Express in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.